with our resident chefs, Will, uh, owner and purveyor, I guess purveyor, of Grumpy Dog, as well as our resident chef, Russ. So be here for that if you're age 50 or older. And then also, typically every single month, they have what's known as the Diamond Excursion. And so just like the word excursion means, they excursion some places to go have a great time of fellowship in great events. They went to Fort Toulouse, they went to a Pioneer Village, they went to museums and things of that nature. And so it's always a great time. And so if you're age 50 or older and you're looking for a group just to have some great camaraderie, great fellowship and a great time with, come visit us at Open Door Baptist Church and we'll get you connected with the Diamond Ministry. First of all, I appreciate you guys being here tonight. Normally, I'm, not, I'm the last person in the church you'd normally see up here, so I apologize. Uh, but it just shows you how desperate Pastor Danny is to get some uh, some filler material here. So uh, just kidding. Uh, I, I, um, I do really enjoy my personal Bible studies. And so whenever he asks me to teach, most of the time, it's just easier for me to dig into what I already know or things that I've studied. And uh, I found uh, the book of Genesis and different aspects of the fall. I, I think I presented uh, Genesis chapter one one time. Uh, I also have done chapter two. We're going to. Uh, I presented some of chapter three in the fall. I'm going to, we're actually going to spend about probably the first 20 minutes in just reviewing to set the context for what we're going to be talking about later. And, and as we move on, now I like the interaction. There, there are going to be some questions I'm going to ask. Some of them I know the answers to. Uh, some of them, none of us will know the answers to, but I like to think about it. The thing is, is asking questions anytime you are reading the Bible and something seems weird or you're, you're looking uh, through something and you, and you have questions, those questions are good because it causes you to dig. And you don't always find the answers to those questions, but sometimes you pick up a lot more information along the way. So uh, expositional study is something that I prefer. Some people like topical studies. Um, I, I like the expositional mainly because it allows you to provide context. You read the book in the context with which it is written, trying to understand the people, the places, the times, uh, and all those things because they apply, and it makes the Bible make a lot more sense. So we're just going to kind of uh, start there. So basically, context is going to be the key to understanding God's Word. And really, that's pretty much true for anything that you read. Uh, when you take, uh, you know, one verse of Scripture, uh, be careful to try to glean too much meaning out of it without reading the verses before it and after it. Because it, there's so many people, and you, you can find them on Facebook and, and any number of pulpits where they will take one, one verse that uh, they'll say means one thing, and then you go and you read the context of that verse, and you realize it doesn't mean at all what you thought it, it meant. So uh, it's not hard to figure out the context, uh, but you just have to put the work in. So uh, the purpose of this study... Um, the purpose of this Genesis study, at least for me, uh, number one, is to show us a more personal aspect of Jesus in relationship to Adam. Um, a lot of times we don't always draw that connection, but the truth is uh, Jesus was in the garden. And I'm going to show you in a few minutes how we know that to be true. Uh, so there's, there's a very personal interaction with Jesus and Adam in the garden. Uh, also, we want to gain a better perspective on just how much Adam was loved and mentored by Jesus from the day he was made. Uh, also, just to provide a clear picture of the events leading to the fall of man, um, because it's, this is where it all started. This is, this is the event that happened that caused, us, uh, that caused Jesus to have to come personally himself and die for our sins. So it's really important that we understand what, what happened. Uh, also, this perspective will give us a more detailed look at why God so passionately declared war on Satan, trying to destroy his work. So, uh, opening question here, um, was Father God ever in the Garden of Eden? Does anybody know? Just throwing that out there. Um, uh, so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you uh, a few little things here. Uh, not in visible form, according to Jesus, at least. We know this much to be true. Uh, not after Adam was created, because Jesus himself tells us uh, in John 1.18, no man hath seen uh, God the Father at any time, only uh, the only begotten Son, which is, uh, is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Also John 6.46, not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, uh, he hath seen the Father. And Adam is man. So after Adam... Uh, we definitely know uh, God the Father uh, was not seen. 
So uh, it's important to note too, uh, Father and Spirit were at creation. Uh, the point is that Jesus was appointed by the Father to be the primary architect and builder of creation. And there's lots of backing uh, verses for that. Uh, I won't uh, really go through a lot of that, but we will talk about John uh, 3.30 here where it says, I can of my uh, own self do nothing as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the Father, uh, but the will of the Father which has sent me. So we know God the Father was here. He's connected to all of this, but Jesus was given the, uh, he's the primary architect of creation. Um, also, uh, we have Colossians 1, uh, 12 through 16. It tells us that by the Son were all things created uh, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and, un and invisible. Um, so Paul could have said God and covered the Trinity, but he didn't. He specifically credited the Son for the creation. Um, and we'll, uh, I'll kind of skip through that a little bit here in just a minute. But the Father is credited by Paul for making us meet or, or sufficient to partake in the inheritance uh, of the saints. So what does this tell us about Lord God spoken of in Genesis? Uh, so beginning in Genesis, the words God or Lord God in most cases is Jesus Christ. Um, so remember that Jesus and his plan of redemption uh, is, is for the world is it is and always has been the main focus uh, of the Bible from the beginning to the end. The purpose of the Bible is to point to Jesus Christ. And uh, one of the uh, Bible scholars I like to follow, sometimes he has an interesting point, and he talks about the scarlet thread that begins with Eve. The scarlet thread that begins with Eve and, and, and basically ends in the book of Revelation, takes us through the cross and everywhere else. You, there's this connection. So, um, so how do we place Jesus in the garden? Because that's an obvious question. So we just ask about God the Father. How do we place Jesus in the garden? Well, John 8, 58. Uh, so we're, we're, this is where we're going to start in the New Testament. And then we'll circle back and I'll show you. But John 8, 58 tells us, or, or this is where Jesus tells the Pharisees that he is I am. And um, so Jesus tells the Pharisees, um, you know, whenever uh, in, in his conversation with him, he said, uh, he says I am, or he uh, says that he is the I am. So then we have G, uh, Genesis uh, 3, 13 uh, through 14. And so if Jesus is the I am, which we see in John 8, 58, uh, now if we go back to Genesis 3, 13, the great I am was the voice of God from the burning bush that spoke to Moses. So this is why in John, by the way, also this is why in John 8, 59, the Pharisees attempted to stone Jesus is because they understood what he was saying. Whenever he said, I, I am uh, the I am. So, uh, so he told them he was God and God who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. They considered, uh, considered what he was saying as blasphemy. Uh, then we have uh, Genesis 4.11. Uh, the same voice of God that spoke to Moses from the burning bush asked him, who made man's mouth? And the voice uh, from the bush tells him, I the Lord. Uh, so we know that the voice that speaks to uh, Moses uh, made man's mouth. Then we have Genesis 2, 7. The Lord God of verse 7 created man from the dust and breathed life into him. So uh, basically this connection is very simple. Jesus is I am uh, per John 5, 8, or maybe it's 8, 5. I may have inverted that, so if I did, I apologize. The I am was the voice of God from the burning bush to Moses, as per Genesis 3. The Lord, uh, the Lord God of Genesis 2, 7 created man from dust and breathed life into him. Uh, so the conclusion is pretty simple. I am made man since Jesus is I am. Jesus made man's mouth from the dust of the ground. The Lord God that formed Adam in Genesis 2, 7 is Jesus Christ. So most references of the Lord God in Genesis are going to be of Jesus. Uh, whenever it says Lord God, um, and, you know, we also, so, uh, something that you'll see if you spend the time to read through these first three chapters of Genesis is um, so many people think that Adam was born with a bunch of preloaded information in his head. I personally don't believe that. I believe he was taught. And if he was taught, he had to be taught by someone. And who was the greatest teacher known to man? 
Jesus Christ. We also see how Jesus interacted with the disciples, and we'll talk about that a little bit, uh, a little bit later. So the Lord God of Genesis is none other than Jesus Christ. Uh, the Father and the Holy Spirit were present through creation, but the physical interaction with Adam recorded in Genesis 2 and 3 really appears to be Jesus alone. Uh, this also fits what we know about Jesus and his deeply personal interactions, teaching in the disciples of the Gospels. Also, by the way, Paul was also taught by Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, there's, so there's lots, there's lots of reasons to understand that Jesus would have taken the time one-on-one, -on -one, just like he did with his disciples whenever he would take them aside, that, uh, that he had to be taught these things. So next is the garden. So um, something interesting, whenever I, I started reading through this, and uh, we started looking at the garden, uh, I noticed that Jesus planted the garden. So think about that. It's not like he, some people say, oh, you know, they believe that Jesus just spoke it into existence, um, which, is, which may be true, which I'll explain in just a minute. But um, the, the Hebrew verb here for planted is natah, which simply means to establish or to fix. So he established or fixed the garden. Um, the surrounding context <clears throat> of this indicates a more literal statement of sorts. Um, so, so I'm in the window and door business. That's what I do for a living. So I work with builders a lot. Uh, so when a home is built, a contractor does not necessarily do all of the labor himself, yet he is credited with the build a good contractor will be on the ground directing each step of the process. He will care about the aesthetics, the detail, and quality of the finished home. The structure he builds will have small touches that reveal his personal style. And I believe Jesus personally oversaw uh, the design and construction of this garden. It is also possible, in my opinion, that he literally planted this garden. He was there. There was not a tree that didn't go where he wanted it. There was not a plant that didn't go where he wanted it. Um, even from the way uh, that, uh, and I have, whenever I do my Genesis chapter one, um, the location of the Garden of Eden, there are four rivers that converge into one, and Saudi Arabia, uh, right at the beginning of the the sea there, it, that's where a lot of people believe that the garden actually stood. But the point is, is that this garden it was fed and and watered, and then uh, I believe that Jesus understood you know, the, the lay of the land and all these things. So it, it's when you think about it in that context, you understand how personal this was. It wasn't this arbitrary garden that he just spoke into existence and threw a human into to take care of. There's much more to meet the eye here than, uh, than sometimes we can gloss over. So one other thing that I wanted to bring up too is that uh, it says the Garden of Eden. So yeah, what is Eden if Eden's not the garden? So what does that tell us about the garden itself? Uh, the, we're told in, in Genesis that the garden is east of Eden. So what is Eden? Anybody have any guesses? I mean, I, I, literally, I don't know. But to me, it's, is it a city? Is it a province? Um, so what that tells us is there, there were established lands. It could have been cities. I really don't know, but we're, the Bible is very specific to tell us that the garden was east of Eden, not Eden. Um, sometimes we just say it all together, you know, Garden of Eden. All right, well, what was Eden? Because this is just the Garden of Eden. So I don't know. I, I ask questions like that because, it, it, again, it gets you thinking about the context. It gets you thinking about these things. So there may be more going on here than just the garden. Remember, this is a very personal, very personal thing. So, um, anyway, the garden is constructed eastward in Eden. Understand the distinction that Eden is not the garden. The garden is in Eden, but on the east side. So, this area where it's at, this garden does dwell inside of it, but then Eden is something else. So, anyway, I, I won't take that any further than that, but other than, it's just, it's one of those things that this, all this wonder starts to bubble up in me about, man, you know what? What could that be? Because the uh, that's the good thing about two um, expositional study. You start to ask these questions, and it starts to get really exciting when you start to un unlock or start digging a little bit deeper into it, and it makes you want to read the Bible more when you start to ask these questions. So next we have <clears throat> man. Uh, this created. Oh yeah. By the way, Jesus yeah puts a man. He made 
uh, in the special garden to dress it and keep it, which we'll cover more in just a minute. Next up uh, in our desire to establish context here is man is created. So uh, man is formed in Genesis 2, 7 in the image of God. Um, so uh, then we have Jesus, he breathes life into this form, the breath of life. Life itself is a supernatural gift, by the way. This caused the body uh, made of dust to become a living soul. And this shows us the care taken in mankind's creation. Because literally you have this dust uh, on the ground that Jesus forms and he breathes this life into it. And it, life is literally a supernatural gift that we've been given. People that don't believe in God and don't understand, people that think that the, we're a big bunch of uh, accidental meat puppets, you know, it's ridiculous to think that the uh, complexity of the human body is something that happened by accident, because it didn't. If anyone who thinks that, there's so many reasons that that could not possibly be true. Um, but the just the supernatural gift of life itself, particularly in mankind, we are not like other animals. We have this desire within us to uh, to to talk to God. We have this, uh, this, this uh, natural sense of justice within us. There's so many things that set us apart from uh, monkeys and from dogs and cats and other things. Uh, we were created with a special purpose and that life is supernatural. It really is. Um, so Adam seems to be present uh, at the planting of the Garden of Eden. So Adam was created before the garden was established. So you know, creation started with Adam. Uh, but anyway, this, uh, you know, whenever it talks about, uh, you know, the planting of the garden, uh, it says these are the generations when they were created in the day that the Lord made, uh, made the earth and heavens. And we're told the events of chapter two are given to us in chronological order. Adam was created before the garden, and, uh, was planted and was put in the garden. So, um, that, that's the thing about it again, you know, whenever we're told by, you know, many believe that Moses wrote the book of Genesis. I tend to believe that myself, but when we are told these are the generations, that's so it's funny that ch the beginning of chapter three is a recap of chapter two, but the difference is that that chapter begins with these are the generations. This is the order with which these things were done. So he goes back through and we get a recap of chapter two in chapter three, but the, but chapter three actually gives us the order with which it was done. Uh, so we know that Adam was also created created first. And uh, one little thing that I wanted to cover here that I, I actually don't have in my notes um, that uh, th and this fascinates me by the way. Again, more questions. But if you'll look at chapter two, Genesis chapter two, verse five, if you've got it, I don't I, I don't have it on my notes, or I would show it to you. But Genesis. Uh, so, so verse 4 of chapter 2 says, These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Verse 5 blew my mind. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth. Think about that. Every plant of the field that was there was created before it was ever planted. So where was it? Has he got a big greenhouse? I mean, again, another one of those questions where I'm like, okay, that's, that's just, it just blows my mind to think about these plants, all of these things, they were created before they were ever planted. And you know what? You go to any local nursery around here, again, going back to the builder scenario, when a builder builds a house and he's all done and they're doing the landscaping around it, he, he didn't just uh, go and start planting seeds. No, they bring in bushes, they bring in trees, they bring in all of these things and put them in the ground. And Jesus was the original... Uh, designer or the, the he came up with the original idea of the greenhouse I guess I don't know but again this, just the thought of the fact that he created all of these things before he planted them there was a plan here that again if that doesn't tell you anything else this was so well thought out there's no accidents that happened here no, nothing that happened here was an accident it was not arbitrary it was all deliberate and on purpose so anyway, that was a, that was free. <laughs> um, so getting into more specific uh, context of chapter three in particular, as opposed to just creation in general, uh, creation was made 
uh, by Jesus for himself. We're told that in Colossians 1.16. So we're, the creation was made for him. He was put in charge of it. Um, Jesus was present and interacts with Adam in the Garden of Eden. He is referred to as Lord God there, but it is still Jesus none the same, uh, nonetheless, still. Uh, also, through Adam, mankind is intended to have dominion over creation in its perfect form. This was given to Adam. It was given to him to be the manager, if you want to call it that. He was supposed to be in charge of these things. It was his job to keep it up. Jesus planted it. Adam was put in charge of, of putting it there. Now, remember, Adam was created before the garden was created. So Adam knew everything there was to know about the garden. He understood why things were where they were. He understood how it worked. He was the best person. He was the only person, I guess. But still, he was the most qualified, even if there had been more people. Uh, you know, he, he knew what was going on. Um, so he was given dominion. Also, uh, something interesting, and there's some debate about this, but I, I can, if we had tons of time, I could go over it with you. Adam lost his appointed dominion over creation because of his sin. That's what, that's what caused him to lose it. The sin of disobeying God's one and only rule. By the way, there was only one. One, one simple rule that he had to follow that it got broken. Um, Adam had to remain sinless if he were to become the steward Jesus wanted him to be. So mankind is now subject to the judgment of death as pre-warned by a heartbroken and loving and holy God in Genesis 2.17. That's when Adam was told what the penalty of violating that law would be. Um, so we'll continue on here. So this is where it can get a little bit goofy, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you my opinion on this, and that's all it is is an opinion. I encourage everybody to try to study these things out. <clears throat> Satan took over dominion of earth from Adam <clears throat> when the sinless world was cursed by sin. Satan tells us himself in Luke 4, 6 that the power of earth was delivered unto him. Satan tells us himself he was given this. He was given control over the garden. So... So now my next question is, how and why was he given dominion? <clears throat> so, for clarification here, God was not overpowered by Satan for him to gain dominion of creation. So, in a nutshell, uh, once sin entered into the world, Satan legally acquired stewardship of the earth from Adam. This is when God's foreordained plan of redemption was revealed by God himself in Genesis 3.15 based on Old Testament law, Leviticus 27, for example. And by the way, Leviticus is the most boring book in the entire world, but sometimes whenever it comes to context like this, it helps you understand the legal system within the Jewish culture. So God had, has non-negotiable guidelines, procedures, and lengths of time established for transferring the ownership or stewardship of property we are seeing this on a huge scale. If you go back to the Old Testament, and especially when you study the book of Leviticus, Leviticus uh, the, the, in chapter 27, it's, it's so boring to read. But it, it, it establishes how the exchange of property was done. And what we are seeing, the reason why Satan currently has dominion, he gained dominion over this when Adam messed it all up for us. So we can blame him. Can't wait to get to heaven and talk to him about it. But Adam messed it all up, and Satan was then handed dominion or allowed dominion because under the, under the guidelines that God had preordained, Satan has it. Now, could God uh, take care of Satan and, and do all this, undo all of this with a snap of a finger? Absolutely, he could. However, there's a, there's a bigger plan and a bigger purpose, and a lot of that we won't, we won't really learn until we get to heaven. But we do read uh, in Revelation 5, and this is another reason why, more proof for my, my opinion here. In Revelation 5, that Jesus is the only one found worthy to open the book or the scroll. You, you guys read that before, reading in the book of Revelation. Okay. Well, this sealed book is considered by many to be a symbolic title deed, if you will. Again, go, going back to Leviticus 27. For the earth, uh, ar uh, you know, archaeology records that some ancient documents back in those days, scrolls, they were sealed with a clay uh, boulier, is what they called it, or a clay seal. And documents like uh, royal letters, uh, uh, for instance, 1 Kings uh, 21.8 talks about uh, uh, king se uh, seals on king. 
uh, royal decrees, like in Esther 8.8, 8, a will or a title deed to land property, which is also used in Jeremiah 32.44. This book that Jesus has to open and break the seals, there is a very specific reason why it's a book, why, it's, why the instructions for the book are written on the outside, by the way, why the seals have to be broken in order. All of those things are uh, the now Leviticus doesn't cover all of it, but it gives you gives you an idea. And by the way, the way those seals were were on the book, it wasn't like you had this scroll and you had several seals on the outside you had to break. No, what they would do is they would write certain portions, put in a seal, roll it, roll, you know, put more information. There would be a seal. So there would be instructions as you go. So the, the designated person to open the seal would open it up and read those instructions. And the next seal could not, be in, could not be broken until those instructions were fulfilled. Open it up more. Open it up more. Uh, so when you read that they opened up the, you know, in Revelation where they're opening the seals, it's literally a scroll with seals, and one part of it will not be opened up until the previous seal is, is completed. And, and so th all this is, is this is a giant, uh, basically, you know, Satan is... He, he has dominion over here now, but he's not always going to have it. Uh, you know, there's going to be a time where uh, his, his time is up. And, and I'm hoping that it starts tonight. You know, I don't know. I hope, I hope it does. Um, so when, uh, if you want to go to Revelation and read that, it actually gives you a lot of context to it. Uh, but, you know, in God's immeasurable wisdom, you know, his plan of redemption, it was put into place before creation was made. And we're told that in three different uh, places in Scripture. Uh, uh, Hebrews 4.3, 1 Peter uh, 1.20, and Revelation 13.8. There is nothing that is happening now or that will happen that he ha hasn't already dealt with. And so it, there, all of these things are in place for a reason. So... Um, so here we go. So I have I have these green slides. This is also more. Uh, I do that because I have ADD and it helps me remember what part of, that I'm on. So I apologize. Um, so Genesis three one. Let's let's go ahead and just read that real quick. Genesis three one. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He's asking this question here. So we have the serpent and uh, something interesting here. So we'll just kind of park right here on the serpent for a second. Uh, the serpent was more subtle than any beast God had made. So uh, subtle in the KJV just means shrewd or crafty. Um, but here's what's weird about this. The context of this seems to be telling us uh, that when it said it was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, this is the spirit of what's being said here, uh, is that this, this serpent is different. Um, God did not make this particular serpent in the way it is described. So something changed in the serpent or, or whatever. So it's almost like the serpent uh, trespassed or invaded the garden, or this particular one did, because this, this was not made like a, a typical serpent. Uh, so we're sort of being told that. Then uh, another interesting thing. So this serpent can audibly talk to humans. Uh, this means he fluently speaks whatever language was spoken, the spoken word at the time. I don't know if that was Aramaic or whatever. So a lot of people believe it was that. Nobody really knows. Um, but the, he fluently spoke whatever the language uh, was there. And uh, that's that's pretty important. And we'll we'll get to... Uh, you know, the interaction a little, uh, a little more deeply here in just a minute. Um, also, this serpent can reason and debate with points and counterpoints. So th those are also some interesting things. It's, an, it's one thing to be able to talk or say words. It's another thing to have the intellect to be able to make arguments and to reason and do all of those things. This serpent was not your typical, uh, typical serpent. So reason and debate... Uh, I, I feel like are pretty good uh, traits that were not in the original serpent design. I think those were those were additions. Right. Well, well, that's true. That's 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 very true. 
All right. So um, we're going to continue on. So here we have, uh, and it says, and he, the serpent said unto the woman, yea. So uh, just a little bit on that. The word yea in Hebrew is an adverb that means also or furthermore. So this tells us that this is a continuation of a previous conversation that we have no record of. So in other words, uh, if you, it's better to think of this as he's been, uh, this, is, this is such an ugly word that's used nowadays, but, but grooming. Basically, he's been, he's been speaking to her. He's gained her trust. This is a continuation of, a, of previous conversations that they've had. So uh, Eve, you know, sometimes we think that she's dumb and all this other kind of stuff. I, I really don't think that's the case. Uh, this is more of a situation where he's just kind of been talking to her about different things. And uh, I mean, I know some, I know, including myself, I remember being a teenager and being talked into some dumb stuff. Anybody here ever been talking to doing something dumb? Because I know I have. And the thing is, is most of the time, those are not instant conversations. Sometimes, especially if I have my mind made up about something. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It, it was. So it was just, you know, we're only given a small snippet of the conversation that led up to this point. But there was more. There was more there uh, for sure. So uh, also listen to how the serpent proposes the question to Eve. Um, this is really important. He rearranges God's words and he reverses them. So the serpent asks, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden, but God actually said of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil shalt thou not eat so satan creates doubt in god's word and that that'll preach all by itself right there satan will he will create so much doubt in the written word um and so that's why we have to be really careful about that because he's using god's words words right but but he's he's kind of bent them and changed them a little bit. Hmm. Yeah. And right. Hmm. Yep. Yep. That is, that's very true. So uh, we're going to keep going here. Um, so this is uh, this is just kind of my opinion about the snake, too. Uh, obviously, no typical snake. Uh, most obviously, he was most likely beautiful to look at. Uh, he, Eve was not immediately alarmed. You know, the best we can tell, she didn't seem to mind how he looked. Uh, nor did she mind talking at great length with uh, with the serpent. So what's funny is. You often see pictures like this. In fact, even the Creation Museum, I think, got it all wrong. I've been there. Any of you guys ever been to the Creation Museum? Fantastic. You got, if you haven't gone, buy tickets. Go online tonight and get them. Uh, great experience. But they have this They have this, you know, thing of this serpent. Let me ask you this. Would you talk to something that looked like that? Because I can tell you right now, I wouldn't. I mean, there's no way. I'm just not going to do it. Um, my, this is, this is all, this, again, this is just opinion. This is my idea. He probably looks more like that. Um, just, I mean, think about it. If you're, you're in the garden and the serpent, now, obviously this is not an, this is not exact, but, but you get, you get the idea of what I'm saying. It's a, it would be a serpent that would be more attractive to look like. We know it was a serpent. So it was definitely like a reptile like thing. I don't know if that this, I'm not saying that this, is what Satan looked like. But what I'm saying is this gives you an idea of what Eve was probably talking to. Something much more pleasant to the eyes. It's not going to be this mean, scaly snake because, you know. Um, anyway, also, you guys have to remember, Satan was known, or Lucifer was known for his beautiful appearance. The Bible talks about it. There's no way, uh, I mean, you know, he was... He was a, he's a good looking guy. I mean, you know, so basically just beautiful to look upon. 
Um, Ezekiel uh, 12, uh, or excuse me, Ezekiel 28, 12 through 14 tells us he was perfect in beauty. So we know he was, he was pleasant to look at. So there's no reason why he wouldn't be the same way in the garden. So, you know, when you, we think about Eve talking to a snake or whatever, I, I think it was, it, it was more sinister than that. It was way more sinister. I think it was way, uh, I think any one of us could have fell for it the way that it was presented. Uh, but uh, anyway, we'll, well, uh, you know, Satan uh, covered in an array of stones. He was the anointed cherub, but we'll talk a little bit more about him in, in a minute. Um, so we established that the serpent was likely pleasant to look at. But why is Eve not surprised that a serpent is talking to her? Has anybody thought about that? Why on earth would she start talking to a snake? Does that make any sense in in, in normal terms. I mean, would you talk to us? I mean, you're out in your backyard uh, in the garden and the snake comes up and says, what's up? What are you going to, what are you going to say? I mean, are you going to start a conversation? Because uh, the first thing I'd do is go. And then the conversation would be over. Anyway, um, I, this is my opinion. And I've, I've read some other commentators on this. I think Eve was new to the garden. Uh, because this kind of role, this, this, was, this was all a, re a relatively short amount of time from when she was created until we start rolling into this. I think she didn't know that much about the garden. Uh, she had no clue what all the animals were capable of. So, one, so when one nice looking snake comes up and starts talking to her, she was just like, well, okay, I guess this is normal, you know, and starts talking to him. I, I, she wasn't, she, again, she was not dumb. She was a very, sm she was smart, but being new to the garden, I think it's most likely that she didn't understand what all the animals did. We know that Adam did because he was there when they were made. He got to spend time with them. He named all of them. Eve, on the other hand, was brought in after all of that. So she's in the garden doing her best to try to help him out. And then, you know, not really knowing what the capability of all the animals were. Why wouldn't they talk? You know, who knows? There was, there was probably all kinds of cool animals in the garden. I mean, we don't know what all they were, but you know what I'm saying? So I think that Satan took advantage of this fact. Again, he is uh, very shrewd and crafty. And I think that's, again, that's why uh, just it's, you know, when we think about things, about these things and we look at it, you know, and just try to look at it at face value, it's really easy for us to be judgmental. But when you really start to break it apart and start to look at these things a little bit closer, you understand that this was, this was very complex. This, this, as you said, this psyop mission that Satan was on, it was slick. It was very well done. And so she, she didn't just fall for this because she was not smart. She, she was doing just what she thought was normal or, you know, so also the, the other thing too here to note is that, um, there is a tone of innocence, a tone of innocence uh, to Eve's reply. So I'm getting a little ahead of myself because we haven't read uh, verses two and three, but let's go ahead and do that so I can catch, catch back up. So the woman said unto the serpent, uh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it lest ye die. So um, in, in Eve's, uh, tone it just seems to be an innocence here i don't get the to me i'm not uh getting the vibe here that she's looking to break the rules i'm not i don't think for a second that she fully intends to break the law here you know she's just she's just reasoning and um i think that uh i really don't think there's any malice or any sense that she wanted to rebel necessarily um also a couple of other things to note here as we uh, get a little bit deeper into this. Eve simply seems to not have all of the information that she needed to properly adhere to the rule of the garden. There was only one simple rule, uh, which we're told in Genesis 2, 17. Um, for one, Eve does not say the name of the tree she's not supposed to eat, which brings up a couple of questions. Um, she does know where the tree is located in the midst of the garden, but why doesn't she name the trees like she doesn't know the official name? And it really does matter what tree she's talking about. It, it, it really matters. There is a specific tree you're not supposed to eat from. She doesn't name that tree. Maybe she did know the name, but I, that seems like that would be a little piece of information that would have been in here had she known it or she would have said it. So 
so now, does she actually even know what it's really called? So also, um, Eve adds this extra condition to the rule. Neither shall you touch it. Well, that's not what God said. In fact, we had this running joke last time we talked about this. I mean, Adam could have been running around playing softball with this fruit, and it would have not been breaking the rules. They could have plucked it off of the tree. Hey, catch, you know, but don't catch it with your mouth, you know. So at the end of the day, as long as you don't eat it, God's only rule is don't eat it. He didn't say you couldn't touch it. And, and bear in mind, too, Adam, uh, he was the keeper of the garden. Well, I, you know, I don't know how things work there, but today, if you're going to keep a garden, you do have pruning that has to be done. There's certain tasks that have to be done. He had to touch the tree, you know, at least at some point, I would think, to be able to care for it. So, uh, but somehow Eve here has this. And, and by the way, does this sound familiar when we start talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, adding the, these things that's sort of how i see this where she just and uh, anyway we'll get into where i think she got some of this stuff so how did eve learn the rule of the garden take a guess a man told her a man who doesn't give particularly clear information about what is supposed to go on that's my opinion uh who's the who's the the resident manager of the garden and also, who was in charge of making sure the guidelines of the garden are understood and followed? Well, guess what? Uh, the blame falls on Adam, pun intended. He was responsible for clearly communicating God's one and only rule of the garden to Eve and to articulate the severity of its consequences if broken. From Eve's conversation with the serpent, he failed to do this correctly. Want to know why uh, uh, Adam gets... Uh, why this all falls on him, he did a really poor job of communicating. I mean, that's what I'm getting from all of this. Eve did not have all of the information that she needed. He probably, you know, he gave her the short version, and he probably should have sat her down under another fruit tree, not that one, had dinner and talked about what the rules were or, or, clearly, or clearly explain them, because I really don't think he did a very good job. That's my opinion. So, an important uh, contextual observation. Uh, it's clear from our study uh, of Genesis chapter 2 that Jesus loved Adam, spent time with him. Jesus taught Adam all about how to dress and keep the garden. Uh, think of Adam as one of the disciples, like uh, Peter or Paul. He was Christ's first disciple. Uh, and this is really the proper way to view the relationship between Jesus and Adam. Adam loved his creator, teacher, and friend, Jesus. He also loved his wife, Eve, very much and enjoyed uh, no longer being alone. Because, you know, he was, he was alone for a while. Now, Jesus was around, but he didn't necessarily stay with Adam 24-7. I mean, we don't know that, but uh, Adam was very familiar with being alone. So as far as we know, Adam and Eve had no intentions of breaking God's one rule of the garden. Uh, the point is that sin is like that. It sneaks up. It often looks like something pure or acceptable but can be corrosive and divisive underneath. Be careful of what you consider acceptable in your life because these are the things that can hurt you most. Because I really think that Eve had good intentions. I don't think she ever had any intentions of breaking the rules, but she was simply convinced that it was okay, that maybe she misunderstood what the rule was because Adam didn't do a good job. So... Uh, let's, let's read on uh, verses uh, four and five here real quick. I'm trying to make good time. I'm, I'm doing a terrible job because I have a lot left. But anyway, uh, so the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. For God doth, uh, doth know in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods knowing good and evil. So here we go from doubt to denial of God's word. So Satan first plants the seed of doubt. Now he just flat out denies it, that, that it's true. Um, so which brings to, uh, you know, kind of a, a question here too. Um, when, when Satan says death, uh, again, that's going to that's gonna seem to, uh, where he kind of twists the understanding of death. Because I think maybe... Eve could have thought that it meant instant annihilation or drop dead. And uh, again, this could be one reason why Adam followed suit. We'll get into that in just a minute. 
But uh, you going to say something? True. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. There had been no death up to that point. Um, well, so it's funny that, you know, Satan, the serpent accuses God of being a liar. You know, you, you shall not surely die. Um, and the thing is, is, uh, you know, death, I guess what's funny is, is that even, I mean, if you think about it, Satan, depending on how he approached this statement, like, it didn't mean instant annihilation, but it it does what it does mean is death by a second law of thermodynamics. Which, if y'all don't know what that is, that's basically where time when you're when you're when you're separated, uh, you know, from God, and this curse now comes and shuts everything down in the garden that was that sustained you. Now degradation begins because there was apparently in uh, later on in this study I have a. Uh, we'll never get to it tonight, but how the tree of life probably worked. Don't know. But anyway, um, you know, but basically something that, you know, that when once this curse went down, then then time became a thing. Age, degradation, things start falling apart very slowly. Uh, so God didn't lie to her. She would die, but it didn't necessarily mean she was going to drop dead the minute that she ate it. It's not like it was poison. So Satan, I think, kind of twisted it. And if you think about it, this I'm kind of skipping ahead here a little bit, but Adam sees that she's eaten it and she's not dead. So what does that tell him? Maybe maybe he didn't understand what death meant. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, we'll we'll talk about Adam's perspective on this here in just a minute. Well, that's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. But uh, what's funny, too, is that the serpent, he kind of implies that God is withholding valuable information from Adam and Eve. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, uh, you know, would you say there was any truth to this? Was God withholding information from Adam and Eve, you think? Because technically, God gave them, and really, th this is the bottom line. God gave them everything that they needed to know, everything, all of their... Any, all food supplies, everything uh, that they needed to know. Uh, you know, God had already given all this and really more than enough knowledge and education needed to live happily in the garden together as husband and wife and, and as uh, keepers of the garden. Um, also, let me continue. I had to, my slides change colors again. That helps me track. Um, there is an indication or an implication here that only gods or Elohim, as, as it's pronounced in the original uh, text, uh, or angels knew good and evil at this point in biblical history. I mean, that's kind of what it implies, right? Um, so, was only good known by Elohim or angels in heaven before Satan became evil and introduced it? You know, kind of make, you know, it's just another one of those questions that pop up in my mind was, uh, was the knowledge of good and evil present in heaven before Satan brought, brought it? I don't know. I know one thing, he was slick because it says he took a third of them with him So, uh, whenever he left. So, um, also, something else too, could it be that Eve, as she's listening to Satan, thought that maybe gaining this knowledge that she didn't currently have might help her understand things and serve God better or serve Adam better? Maybe she thought that if she gained this knowledge, that maybe it would make her better at her job. I don't know. Just, that's just another question I wrote down in here. Like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, so uh, I think th this is, again, this is, now this is sheer opinion. That's all it is, and it's easily debatable. But I think a bad form of self-awareness also may have been what led to the fall. I believe that Eve was originally taught uh, to serve Adam in the stewardship of the garden. Um, and in other words, she, she helped him do his stuff, whatever the things that he was supposed to do. She was helping him do those things. Uh, while Adam served and taught her some of what Jesus taught him. So he was sharing some of the stuff that he taught. Clearly not enough. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
hundred percent, hundred percent. And and actually, we're going to talk about that in a minute too. Uh, exactly how it, uh, more specifically. Um, I think that maybe it was when her change. So think about this. Prior to that, her only mindset was serving, serving God, serving Adam. Adam was serving her and serving God. So they were, serve, they were doing things. They were doing things for each other. They were doing things for God. Then all of a sudden, Satan comes in and says, hey, what about you? What about you? What about you? And then she's like, oh, yeah. Well, huh. What about me? You know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and see, it's like, so now all of a sudden she has this self-awareness to improve. Like, okay, all right, uh, yeah, maybe if I do this for myself, it'll make me better. You know, I, and I don't know that that was her train, train, her line of thinking, but it makes sense that it would to me. It just, it, it seems to fit, but I don't know. I don't know that that's the case. Um so here we go, uh, in, uh, let's, let's read uh, six, uh, verse 6 here. It says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So she, see, she sees it, um, you know, what it looks like. And so, you know, the word for saw here could also be interchanged with the word perceived, <clears throat> so in other words, um, have you ever changed your opinion about something? Uh, I remember as a kid, I hated black olives, couldn't stand them, and wouldn't touch them. And then 20 years later as an adult, I had them on pizza, I somehow ended up having them on pizza, and now I absolutely love those things. It totally changed my opinion about it. Again, I think that she saw the fruit in one way, and then once this idea or thought was presented to her, she looked at it in a completely different light. Like, oh, okay. Um, so it, it was, it's her perception of the fruit that changed. So think about this. Uh, until the serpent spoke to Eve, it appeared she never even considered the fruit to be food. Like, she just avoided it. I mean, she just did what she was supposed to do, but it never occurred to her to eat it. You just knew that was the one that you don't touch. Never even thought about it. Wasn't even a big deal. And then all of a sudden, Satan comes in and goes, hey, what about this? You know, it's going to make you great. And then all of a sudden, her understanding or her perception of the... Now, you ever had a mind worm? You ever had a song you couldn't get out of your head? You ever had somebody tell you something that you just constantly thought about 24-7? Imagine that you. she understood not to touch the tree. And now all of a sudden, Satan's like, hey, you know this tree you've been walking by? Every day, you know what this thing can do, and and then and that's all for that conversation for that day. He slithers off, and then she, then all of a sudden she's like, oh, "Man, I wonder, I wonder." And so over time, she's walking by and go, "Man, I, that thing, I wonder what that really does, or what just it just you know, I've had somebody give me information that would just consume my mind if it's something that I'd never thought about before or whatever." And I just think that once he started planning these little thoughts and he was just having these friendly conversations and telling her about this tree all of a sudden now she can't think about anything but eating one of those pieces of fruit just my opinion again i think that it's pleasant to the eyes the tree uh, to be desired to make one wise never paid much attention to the fruit of this tree before uh because these things have been pointed out by the serpent these uh new considerations likely consumed her thoughts um so I, this is an interesting observation in, uh, that uh, it was brought up by uh, a Bible scholar that I follow from time to time. He says, Satan uh, will use the portal of the eye to get a person. Think about it. Eve saw the uh, beauty of the fruit of the tree. David sees Bathsheba from the root, uh, roof of the king's house. Satan shows Christ the city during the temptation. But God uses the ear. So the Lord, uh, seven churches in Revelation, he who hath an ear. How many times does he say that in Revelation? Uh, where there are 39 proclamations to hear the word of the Lord in the Bible. Um, so God uses the portal of the ear. Satan uses the portal of the eye. 
And the eye can be very easily deceived, especially nowadays. Um, so uh, continuing on with this, uh, look at uh, verse 6 here. Uh, it says, when the woman saw a tree to be desired to make one wise. So now she, she perceives this tree to be valuable in a new way that she had never considered. Uh, basically, completely changing what she believes about the tree. Um, and so... Uh, basically changes her understanding. Uh, and Satan subtly changed Eve's per uh, perception of this tree by convincing her that it contained an instant remedy for her to acquire a form of knowledge of God and that she should desire it. And so he's basically telling her, you should want this. You should want, the, you should want what this tree has to offer. That's basically what he's telling her. <clears throat> and it's, and it's, this is important because prior to this, as we just said, Eve seems to have not considered that she would even want it. My guess is that Eve somehow thought this knowledge would make her much more useful. So uh, something real quick I want to cover here at this point too, is sometimes it feels like we're losing the war. I mean, you know, if you, if you spend too much time on social media, if you watch the news, you, even walking down the street sometimes, it really feels like that we're, we're losing this, this battle for our faith. But there's much to learn about perspective. You know, we're just talking about perspective a little bit to, to perceive. But God knows the facts of what is in motion around us. And we have a very, very limited view. And we should be careful not to allow Satan to change uh, that perception. Um, things around us may seem uh, like we are losing, but God had already won the war before it began. Just like uh, we talked about early on how God uh, basically... Uh, has the, the end is written. This is, this is written. And um, so Eve's perception changed her path uh, to one that ultimately led to destruction. And your perception affects your attitude. Your attitude affects those around you, whether positive or negative. So it's important that we, we trust God's perspective because it's very liberating. It really is knowing that he's truly in control and we can rely on his word. All of this has a structure to it. All of it. The, the plan is in place. It's here. It's not changing at all. Um, it's easy to feel defeated. It's easy to feel like we're getting steamrolled and that we're losing uh, uh, rights and losing these things. And so a lot of that's true. But none of that is a surprise to the Lord. None of it. Not, not one bit of it. And, um, you know, you, this is kind of a cliche and you hear it all the time, but it's true. Go to, the, go to the last couple of books of Revelation and see. I promise you, God had this figured out even before he breathed life into Adam, even before the very first uh, part of this story began. Jesus Christ himself was involved in the architecture and planning of what we're experiencing today. And we're, you know, honestly, we ought to be excited in one sense because we are in the thick of it. We're, we're, we're getting close, people. I mean, it's getting here. I mean, I know we say that, but you know, when you woke up this morning, you're one day closer to when the Lord's going to return. You're one day closer today than you were yesterday. You're a week closer than you were last week. I'm telling you, the clock is ticking down and we're getting there. And it's really easy to get uh, so uh, disenfranchised and disenchanted over a lot of the stuff that happens in the world. Um, and, you know, and it's really sad. Some of, a lot of it's hard to see. And especially if we have loved ones who are, are suffering. I know I'm right now I've got an issue. I have a sister of mine that is just struggling and having a tough time. And, and I really don't know what to do about it. But, you know, it's, you know, in, this is one of the things that I kept telling her. I'm like, you know, you just got to you just got to keep your head down and let the Lord take care of it because he will. And uh, anyway, I have a lot more guys, but we're, I'm, my, my time's over uh, tonight. So, um, we'll see uh, if pastor Danny, he, he's, he's offering me next Sunday. I just don't know if I'll have enough to do an entire class next Sunday. Cause I probably have about 30 more minutes left, uh, of the study. At least let me back up. I have 30 more minutes of what I have already studied uh, out. I still have to go cause I, uh, I've got more studying to do to prepare, but man, I'm, I, I do have to tell y'all, there is some juicy stuff in chapter three. I'm just telling you, there, there is, there's some juicy stuff in chapter three. Uh, even going back to, I also want to do a throwback to the tree itself. And um, because the tree of life, uh, the, the, so we, we talked about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We haven't talked about the tree of life and the tree of life is amazing. And, and one of the reasons why 
Uh, and uh, another tidbit too is uh, this is a like a preview, but why you guys ought to think about this because this is the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. Why would G, why would God put a, cher, a cherubim with a flaming sword to protect the garden after the fall? He could have put anything else there. He could have put a pit bull. You know what I'm saying? He could the, a cherubim is the most powerful. The, they only the cherubims ever only are seen in the throne room of the of the Lord or during times of war or whatever. Why a cherubim? If he just wanted Adam and Eve to stay out of the garden, why would he put a cherubim there? There's a, there's a lot behind there. Uh, there's a, there, there's something that that cherubim is guarding that is far more. There, there's just a lot to it. There, there's a reason why the Bible's very particular. The Bible doesn't say he just stuck an angel there because it is an angel. It it articulates that it is a cherubim with a flaming sword. There's a reason for that. But anyway, hope you guys enjoyed it tonight. Um, I try not to be boring but sometimes i get a little too excited and get ahead of myself but um i'm just going to close this in a word of prayer and uh we'll just uh we'll get out of here lord thank you so much uh just for the study tonight and just for the class and for the attentiveness i pray that you would uh just give us a safe trip home lord <clears throat> we just think about miss karen again i just want to keep lifting her up that you would just bless her we'd love to see her face here in this church uh yet again just to strengthen her body uh, Lord, uh, just uh, give us a, a great week this week and just help us to bear in mind that uh, we can rely on you and we can truly trust you uh, even with our day-to-day -day, uh, tasks and things like that. Lord, you can just get us through the toughest stuff. So anyway, thank you for all you do for us and we love you and praise you. And we just ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.